Ladies and gentlemen, Al Harper, I'm so glad that you're here. And I've got to just share, you're a man that needs no introduction. But I think it's really funny because when I've heard you introduce yourself to people, you so humbly say that you're the train guy. <laughs> so I'm going to try to give you an introduction if that's okay. Sure. Um, Al Harper, the owner and president of the Durango Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad, but so much more than that. You also are the president of American Heritage Railways. And that's really why I've been so excited about this conversation. If you remember, uh, I think it's been about a year ago when we worked on a, a corporate overview video for American Heritage Railways, which for anybody listening, a great company with really diverse assets and the Great Smoky Mountain Railroad in North Carolina, Old Tucson in Arizona, Rail Events Inc. and the production side of your business with Polar Express and all of that good stuff. And then obviously the Durango and Silverton. But through that process, part of my job in that project was interviewing what I'll call middle, not middle, but your management team in your different, in your different, you know, parts of, of your business. And it was a profoundly powerful experience for me. I also got to spend a lot of time with John, your son and working through it. And I'll just share with you that what I learned getting to help tell the story of AHR was way more valuable than any line item, any amount of revenue or anything like that. And it was just really cool to see what a powerful business you have built. And then most recently, I got to talk to you, I think it was last week, um, with you know some of your background in the real estate world and things like that. And it was really powerful for me too, because there were themes that were somewhat consistent with this authenticity that you bring. And you even mentioned that, you know, it's not about the money and you do things with love and anyway, all this great stuff. And so I just can't thank you enough for taking your time to sit and let me pick your brain for, you know, however long we go. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. Cause like I said, a, a man who, who needs no introduction, but is the most deserving of one ever. And I'm sure I butchered that, but I'm just honored to have a, a few minutes to, to pick your brain. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to, to hear from you. It's been so cool to see where you are now, but I know that that hasn't been easy. I know that that hasn't happened overnight. I'm curious, have you always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit? Have you always been looking, you know, you're such a, well, you've just got such an eye for business and building businesses and things like that. Where did that start? Where did that, where did that come from? Tell me about like the early days of, of Al Harper. Well, you know, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My granddad um, had a sixth grade education and um, came to Missouri in a covered wagon. And um, he got his start by working for a shoe company. And the shoe company would have leather scraps that they would give him and he'd invent uses for leather scraps. And he developed a company that became fairly large in that in that field and he had several inventions that were his and then my mother started a real estate company and uh, she had a gigantic company with three salespeople and <laughs> but I always saw her working on her own my father was uh, he he uh, 
was tied to religion very much. He, he was a Christian scientist and um, taught Christian science as a teacher. And so I have a strong religious background and a background of, of family members who had their own businesses. And, and I always kind of said I wanted, I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't want to work for a big company. And, and uh, it just kind of came that direction. Um, that's a really big simplification, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I just had uh, great family experiences, and uh, um, I think my dad's religious connection played a big role. I quote him all the time, so I'll probably get some quotes in today. If we <laughs> in what way did the religious connection play a big role? It, the community, the, the network, the faith to take a risk you know um i think the biggest thing um he was a christian scientist and and um, i didn't remain in the religion but i believe in 80 percent of it and i and i'll tell you the 80 percent i believe in that that is defining god as love and so um i was taught my whole life to just to love everything you do if you put your love into it, it all works out eventually. Sometimes there are some big potholes, but it always works out. And so I think that whole concept of love kind of permeates everything I do. I love what I do. And um, I, I think you heard me talk about uh, in any business that I have, um, I always believe in, you know, love God, love family, love, com you know, your nation, your community, and love your clients. If you put that first, it always works out. You'll, you'll be fine. And you'll note I never mentioned money in it because that's really true. I don't think I've ever worked because, oh, boy, I'm going to get rich doing this. I've worked because this is going to be a fun. This is going to be a great adventure. And uh, that's really why I bought a railroad was because I thought, I've never done that. That'll be a great adventure. It's so interesting to hear that theme of love because that was one of the biggest things when I was doing the interviews for the American Heritage Railway project, there was this sense of love for the work that everyone was doing. And that was one of my biggest takeaways from, you know, because I've been kind of observing the business that you've built as, as it relates to AHR, the larger, you know, all of the, the entities, and especially how you've built such a strong culture within those businesses that's so much seamless. like. It was fascinating to me because I would have conversations with, you know, food and beverage managers in North Carolina and general managers in Tucson, Arizona, and, uh, you know, production managers in, in Durango, Colorado, or whatever it might be. And there were these th such consistent themes of loving their job and like feeling ownership for it. And I feel like it created uh, quite a bit of cohesiveness with you know, the people and, and such a consistent culture and such diverse roles and businesses and all of that all across, I mean, and all across the, the country too. Do you feel like that's an example of you leading by example and, and living the, those principles? Or has that been something that you've kind of intentionally tried to instill in, in your employees and as you've been building the businesses? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very free to talk about it. A lot of people, um, a lot of businessmen, you know, are here and talk about love. You know, and it's it, for me, it's an easy subject, and and so um, I hope it's by example. I hope that that's what they think. I also treat all my employees as family, and you know, um, 
even in families, there's times where somebody doesn't work out, and those are hard. But uh, uh, if somebody leaves our company, they've had two, three, four opportunities to stay um, if they want to to accept what we believe in and how a business should be run. And and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many of our employees have been with us a long time. Now, I, I tease everybody, I've been here long enough now, this is my 26th year with the railroad, and everybody I started with in management's all retired, the nerve of them. <laughs> I'm just in my prime, I'm only 78. So. I was just gonna ask, are you, do you think you'll ever retire? Uh, no. <laughs> Love it too much? Yeah, but uh, it's, it's totally different now. Uh, I think the biggest challenge, uh, you know, my son John, you've, you mentioned his name, uh, John is taking over the day-to-day -day operation. Uh, I, I, I tease everybody, I use this all the time. Uh, you know, he's younger, better looking, stronger, better educated, has more energy, and it really makes me mad. <laughs> but the he's, worst. he's the right guy for now. Uh, you know, I, I think I was the right person to take over this railroad from, uh, from Charlie Bradshaw and from a corporate entity that had it for a year. Um, because they were, uh, Charlie was very much, um, he wanted it only to be like it was in 1882. And uh, the corporate entity came in and, and it was everything was corporate. And, and that's just not me, I'm, I'm community. And so uh, I came in and changed that whole feeling that the railroad wasn't this entity out here, the railroad was your neighbor. Your neighborhood was your partner in the economy here of Durango. And so we've really, really reached out to every charity, every entity. Uh, I, and it's pretty, pretty close to being true. I don't think I ever turned anybody totally down that wants a donation. <laughs> It may not be as much as they'd like, but I, I try to always help everybody. And you know, uh, typical year, we'll have made a donation to over 250 organizations wow. in a typical year. Wow. So it's not unusual. And, and of course, we have entities all over, so it's pretty easy to get to that number pretty fast. But I think that's important, is giving to the community. And now you're gonna hear my, my quotes from my dad. You're never impoverished by giving. You're never made poor by sharing what you have. Mm. And so uh, we do that sharing, and we try to make sure that we share with the community, we share with our employees, that we're all in this together, and together we make it successful. And I think, I think a lot of businesses in Durango do that, and I think that's why this community is so strong. And uh, I'm excited about being here. I love that. We've got a, one of our core philosophies here is a belief that givers gain. So, you know, we believe that if we add value, help other businesses grow, that's how we'll grow. We focus on, you know, their growth and their marketing and all of that is good stuff. So that resonates with me in a, in a huge way that you'll never be impoverished by giving. I, I love that. I'm curious because I can tell how sincere that is. And, you know, that that comes from a, a that you truly believe that. I have to believe, though, in your early days, pre-railroad, you know, your, your early entrepreneur journey, that you weren't necessarily always in the position that you are now to give. Has that always been a belief of yours to not worry about the money, create the community, spread the love? Like, how did you, because at some point you also have to, you know, especially in the early days, you also have to have to build a, 
a business. How, how do you balance the, how did you balance the, the two? Well, I think, I think first of all, um, starting a new business certainly is a financial challenge. Uh, and, uh, even in the periods of growth that I had, there were times when there were huge setbacks, huge setbacks. And, um, but you know, uh, there's a couple of points to it. And back to my dad, my dad said that the greatest prayer you can ever have is to be thankful. And he said that even in the worst circumstance, there's always something to be thankful about. And it may be as little as don't do that again. I'm grateful I learned that lesson, you know. Uh, so there's always something to be gained in, in tough times and in the beginning when you don't have a lot of money. But even when you don't have a lot of money, there's ways to give. And a lot of it in the early days was volunteer time. Uh, you know, I, I, I many an auction I went and helped the auctioneer or, or sold posters or helped the Girl Scouts sell cookies. <laughs> you know, that's just part of it. And, and of course, as you become more established, you're able to do a little more, more financially for, for people. And, and with the railroad, um, we have a product that we can share. Uh, a lot of people you know, ask us for tickets that they can auction or, or that they can sell. And um, we've done as much as give two complete cars for them to sell. Wow. Uh, uh, it's a way that um, they can use those and two cars would be about 80 seats. They can use those 80 seats as an income or as a reward uh, for their organization. So um, it's nice that, that the railroad has that ability to do that. And uh, so I, I'm, I think sharing and giving has always been a part of what I do. Um, certainly nowadays, it's a lot easier financially to do certain types of giving. But I always gave of myself to whatever I was doing in the community. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love that. Has that been, when you look back, and I know you're not done, and you're far from being, <laughs> you're never going to retire. But when you look back on, you know, all of the successes, we, we talked about last week, you know, selling uh, the your real estate brokerage, which helped you, you know, purchase mm -hmm. the, the train. And I'm sure there's been many other, you know, monumental ones. But yeah. when you look back at, all of these things that have happened, if you had to pick one or two that you're the most proud of, what, what would it be? Well, that's a, that's a tough one because I get excited about each new day. <laughs> I, I love that about you, by the way. I, I wake up every morning excited about what I'm going to do that day. And even in times of challenge, I'm excited about the progress we'll make uh, in correcting a problem or in fixing a problem. And and that's not to say that we all don't have bad days or we all have regrets about things that have happened. And, uh, you know, if I think it's easier for me to instead of talk about um, what's the, one of the biggest things I'm most proud of, I think I'm most proud of that we've come through thick and thin mm. and always came out better. Um, I've always said every crisis makes you stronger. Every crisis makes you better because you learn from it. And maybe that's the gratitude, how much you can learn in a crisis. And, you know, when they had the, we had this forest fire here outside Durango that we certainly didn't feel like we started and, and others felt like we did. And there was really no solution. And the settlement was extremely expensive. And people said, well, how do you sleep? And, and it's really simple. I knew it would work out. 
I just knew it would. And um, you just keep working at it and you find a solution. And uh, I don't know that everybody walks away happy, but everybody walks away satisfied that, yeah. that there was a solution. And, um, and we're no worse off for it. We're just as strong as we ever were. Have you always had that mentality of, you know, because you mentioned, you know, that recent adversity, but I know, you know, my short tenure in business ownership that there's, there's adversity every week. Have you always had that, that perspective of adversity and the hard times that, because that's something I've observed with both you and John is when challenges arise there's almost this like stoicism about the way you guys approach problem solving you're very calm cool collected you know it's it's like uh, i don't know it's very i'm i envy it because i tend to get emotional and you know one thing i'm working on right now is reacting or responding rather than reacting to a problem and i'm, I'm actively working on it but i'm curious have, if you've always kind of been able to adopt that mindset of when challenges are overcome, you know, are coming that it's an opportunity to get stronger or is that something that you learned through, through, you know, all of your, your, your experience in, in business ownership? Where, where does that come from? You know, uh, my father-in-law used to tease me all the time. He said, Al, you always seem to have plan B, then plan C and plan D. And, and, you know, I think that is something I've, I've always, uh, believed in. I always had a backup plan. I always had, this is what I do if the, this happens or if that happens. And I still have a habit of doing that. The other thing I've always done is, is I've found ways, tricks to minimize the tenseness created by a problem. And, you know, um, I take a piece of paper and, and I'll say, okay, here's the five problems. And I'll write them down. And then I'll I'll tear that up and write them in a different order. And okay, okay, I'm gonna solve that one, then that one, then that one, then that one. By writing it down, I feel organized. And, and, and then as a result, I'm not worried because I have a plan. And that's when the plan B comes in and plan C comes in. And because I know um, there's always a solution. There always is. If you're honest, with yourself, if you're honest with others, if you maintain a sense of integrity, uh, then you will work it out, no matter what the situation is. And um, you know, here's another quote that I learned early on, and that was always do your highest sense of right. Lots of times there's no black and white answer, but if you say, I'm gonna do the highest sense of right in this situation, it may be a cost me money, but it gets us behind it. It just gets it over with. Then you're thinking all positive. And so do your highest sense of right in every relationship, whether it's business or family or, or any kind of uh, interaction with people. Do your highest sense of right for everybody. It doesn't always make everybody happy, but if you feel like you're doing what's right, and I mean that morally and ethically, if you're doing what your highest sense of right is, you're going to come out just fine. Yeah. Just fine. It's so refreshing to hear, you know, a man in your position having philosophies like that, because, you know, there's this perception that the business world is so cutthroat and, you know, you've got to move fast and be willing to, you know, step on toes to climb the ladder or whatever the, you know, there's all these. And I subscribe to that belief in a very powerful way of like, 
trusting that if we do what's right with the people around us, to your point, whether it's professional or personal or relationships or whatever it might be, that it'll come back tenfold. I think the challenge is, is sometimes it doesn't happen, you know, linearly, (laughs) you know, sometimes you've got to feel the sting before, before it comes back. But I got to share with you how refreshing it is to hear. And, And that's, what's been so cool is I've learned more about what you've built with American Heritage Railway, well, with American Heritage Railways is that you have all of these different entities and it seems like it's been so, well, you've built such a powerful, you know, business and to know that that's on the, on the shoulders of doing what's right is incredibly, incredibly refreshing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. Um, a question as it relates to American Heritage Railways, because it's been cool to see, you know, you'd mentioned the the different entities and things like that. How, what's your approach to growth? And, you know, how are you being strategic with your, your business and how it's evolving? And I heard a story, you'll have to tell me if this is a true story or not, but I heard a story, I think it was through, through that project that before, at one point, nobody had the licensing rights to the Polar Express. And as the story goes, at least, you sent some employees to California to, I believe, the Warner Brothers offices or their corporate headquarters or something with no meeting, no appointment. And the way the story was told to me is you essentially sent them with one-way tickets and said, you know, come back after. (laughs) I'd love to hear, because that's such a... First of all, a great story of uh, assuming it's true of, you know, your approach to growth and the business and taking risks and things like that. But how did you identify that that was an opportunity? And then how were you willing to, you know, go after that? Because I, I feel like that translates to so many of the other, you know, growth areas that, that you've experienced. That's uh, uh, primarily true. <laughs> no, uh, true. True enough. <laughs> you know, um, there was a company doing... Um, uh, a train event program called Thomas the Train or Thomas the Tank, it was called. It was a cartoon. I bought the railroad in North Carolina. They were doing it. And I saw that in in two weeks' time, they attracted 25,000 people. It was grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad wanting to bring their kids to a great event. And so I, I thought that was really cool. And so we brought Thomas out here to Durango and did it. But then I saw the way that that was run, that the people that controlled Thomas got all the profit. The railroads took all the risk and just got a tiny bit of the profit. And I I just thought I could do better than that if I had a brand. And so I started looking for a brand to start our own business. I first went to uh, the little engine that could, the I think I can train. And I liked it because, uh, of all people, Dolly Parton was pushing that in a reading program. And I wrote to the Golden Books people, and we contacted them, and um, Universal Studios had control of the story. And they said they were going to uh, do a TV show like Thomas the Train, and they were going to do a movie, and and, uh, they'd give me the rights. And so I actually went out and built that engine, the little engine that could. And uh, it sits in a park out in North Carolina, and Universal never made the show and didn't do the movie after I spent $320,000 building that engine. So that was a setback. 
but then uh, and then we did the Lone Ranger, and uh, then we did um, uh, Worldwide Peanuts, Charlie Brown and Snoopy, and and uh, that worked out nice. And we still do some of those shows. Um, but then that movie Polar Express came out, and you know we thought that's the ideal one because that's such a iconic holiday that everybody celebrates doesn't matter your background you're going to celebrate that christmas holiday and so i did send people out and they wouldn't talk to them and they came back and said nobody talked to us i sent them out again and and tried again and and again they said you know you're just a little company in durango and we don't have any faith that you'll be able to do it so the third time i said you go out there and you sit in that lobby till somebody comes out and talks to you and and um, gives us a chance. And finally somebody came out and they announced to my representative that was there that um, it would be $250,000 to get the rights. And he calls me up and he's, my, my representative calls me up and says, they want 250000 I said, do you have a personal check? And he said, yeah. I said, I'll back it offer to him and then he calls me back and he says he said now the lady said you fool that's when you sign the contract but we'll give you a shot and that was the beginning of it and that's 17 years ago wow yeah and uh in fact just today we had our our meeting and um we did one million five hundred and eighty nine thousand riders on polar express worldwide now wow so it's just it's really boomed. Uh, we're the third largest brand user of Warner Brothers Studios. And um, this one statistic really is just interesting. Uh, the Saturday before this last Christmas, every second of the day somewhere in the world was a Polar Express event going on. No way. <laughs> and I just thought, that's such a neat statistic, you know, that you've touched that many people in, in that breadth of an audience. And so. And none of it would have happened. Had you not been willing to back a personal check? Just keep trying. You just keep trying. And uh, I was grateful they didn't want 250 right then because I had to go figure that one out. (laughs) It's one of those uh, fire before we aim moments of, you know. But, but, you know, um, I've, I've been very fortunate and very blessed in my life that I've met a lot of great people. Uh, And, and I, I, I've never considered myself the smartest guy on the block, but I've also known surround yourself with the smartest guys on the block. Right. Guys and ladies. Um, I've had people that have been on this trip with me that are unbelievably talented. And and they've blessed me by just devoting their careers to what we do. And um, and then they retire, which is... <laughs> Darn them. <laughs> but, you know, um, we're in that era now where over the last couple of years with John's involvement, he has put together a tremendous group of young up-and-coming people. So uh, we have a good mix now of people with lots of years of experience, but a lot of young people. And we've got young people that have been with us 14 or 15 years. Yeah. And, you know, they... They believe in what we do. They love what we do. And, and there is a romance to the railroads. There certainly is. It's something about it, you know. Is it true that you bought it sight unseen? Well, no, I, I did see it once. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, 
that was a that was a crazy kind of a crazy story. Um, some people had come to Florida wanting to do a tourist train, and um, they they nobody would talk to them. And I was on the board of directors of a state-owned railroad, and I was on the board of a freight railroad in Florida. And, and they they said that if I would introduce them and get them some track time to run this tourist train, that they'd give me a million dollars worth of stock. And I thought, wow, you know, and I'm, I was chairman of the board, so getting an introduction was really easy. And uh, so I got them, and and then I introduced them to somebody, and they ended up buying the Durango and Silverton Railroad from Charlie Bradshaw. And um, then that Florida company got into trouble, and I say trying to save my investment, uh, my million dollars I was going to get on that Florida, I tried to save the railroad by trying to get Charlie Bradshaw to buy the Silverton back. And I went to Orlando where Charlie was based, and I said, Charlie, uh, this thing's going to go down, and I think you ought to buy the railroad back because you love it and you want to protect it. And Charlie Bradshaw said, I, I'm not going to buy it back. I want you to buy it, Al. And I, I said, well, Charlie, there's this, really, there's this little problem. I, I hadn't sold my real estate company yet, and, and it was 20-some-odd million dollars. And I said, Charlie, I don't have that kind of money. And Charlie said, I know you'll take care of my railroad, so I want you to buy it. I'll, I'll help you finance it. And so I called my wife from Orlando and said, what do you think about buying a railroad in Colorado? <laughs> and... Uh, well, she said, you want to do it? I said, yeah, let's do it. And so um, right on that spot, I bought the railroad. And wow. Was, it's a lot more complicated because I had to get a bank to agree to the sale because they held a first mortgage at Charlie Branch. I put a second on it. And uh, I had to go to that bank. And I explained to the bank. I said, I'm going to buy this railroad, but I need you to continue to hold the mortgage on it. And the bank said, well, you're, you're not worth that kind of money. And I said, yeah, but I will be. <laughs> I love that. Not yet. <laughs> but, but they said, um, you know, um, let's think it over. We'll let you know in a week or so. And uh, it was interesting. In the boardroom where I met that bank, there was like five bankers and me. There was a picture of the railroad because Charlie Bradshaw had financed it with them. Ah. And there was a picture of the railroad. And they said, okay, well, we'll get back to you in a week or so. I left the boardroom, got in my car. I got a phone call in my car as I was paying the parking. and said, you're approved. No way. <laughs> it was a funny, funny day. I called my wife and said, well, we just bought a railroad. <laughs> <laughs> now what? <laughs> uh, and then it was, um, uh, then it was, um, you know, just things in life. Uh, Warren Buffett's company, Home Services, showed up said that we want to buy your uh, your real estate company and we had a good real estate company we had we had bought this little company um, four of us went together I used all the money on my credit cards to come up with my share and uh, we bought it and then then two of us bought two of the two of the people out and we took that company from 30 people doing 60 million in gross sales to 850 doing four billion in sales, and Warren Buffett bought it. <laughs> that's that's when I really had enough money to to make this railroad grow and to buy the railroad out in North Carolina. And, but even after that, there's challenges. You know, yeah. You know, 
I think I've faced them all at one time or another. <laughs> I haven't had an earthquake yet, but I've had knock on wood. I've had things destroyed in floods, and I've had the fires and COVID. Uh, yeah, we've 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 gone through it all, and then I've had times when honestly I was um, too cocky. You know, I sold that real estate company, so I had a lot of money for a while. And, uh, of course, I put a tremendous, I paid Bradshaw off. And, but, I, but then I had people coming to me and say, Al, you don't need to put money in. Just give us your guarantee. And I guaranteed a couple of projects for friends. And they went under and left me holding the bag. Mm-hmm. And one was for about $10 million, and another one was for, oh, I don't know, five or six. And um, those were tough. Those were scary. They were really scary. And because um, even though I had made a lot of money, um, I didn't have $10 million to suddenly right. throw at it. And uh, so I went and met with the bank about the one with the $10 million guarantee on it. I said, look, we'll work this out. Uh, I want to tell you that um, I'm honest, and I'll get you paid. I said, I don't know how yet but I'm working on it. I went back to Miami where my office was at that time and I wrote a check for $50,000 and I sent it to that banker. And I said, I know you didn't ask for any money, but here's 50,000 in good faith. Just to let you know, I'm serious. We're going to work it out. He calls me up and he said, in all his 30 years in banking, he never had anybody ever do that. He said, you're right, we'll work it out. And they wrote off $8 million in debt. Wow. Then I got shocked, and the IRS said that $8 million was income. Of course. And they wanted to tax me for it. <laughs> That's <laughs> one will never work out, the IRS. Yeah. So uh, When all those – because, you, you know, I mean, the, the $10 million one, and, and when we were in North Carolina, yeah. John shared a, a story with me somewhat similar. It may have been the same story of, yeah. you know, some partnerships and being left kind of holding the bag and – you also shared a story of, you know, uh, Thomas the Tank and yeah. the $300,000 investment there and all of that. <laughs> I'm curious because, you know, again, I'm, I'm very new to the business ownership world, but I feel like a lot of where my success has come from has been a willingness to take the risk and like hard charge, trust that it's going to work out. When you have those big setbacks does it shake your confidence? Like, does it make you, has there been a tendency or a, a chance that that has made you a little more conservative or have you always been like, I'm still, cause I, I know for American heritage railways to grow the way it has, you've had to take tremendous amount of risk. Some of which has worked out, some of which hasn't, but the ones that haven't, how has that changed how you look at the next one? And has it, has it shaken your confidence, or have you just known that that's part of the process, part of the, part of the journey? Well, as I've, I've explained to my wife during some of those tough yeah. times, you know, um, and you should understand that life is a motion picture, not a still shot. Mm. And um, any good motion picture is going to have its ups and downs, and the downs are just introductions to the next up. No, I and like so, it. Um, I really believe in life as a motion picture, so I, I've never had any of them scare me to the point of saying I give up, I quit. No, that's just—it's just a spark to me, and I'm back to my plan A, plan B, plan C. How do I get through it? And um, 
uh, I think a lot of it is just like that banker. He'd never had anybody just send him a payment for no reason. And it's because I wanted people to trust me. Mm. And, and when people trust you, then they'll work with you in the bad times because they know you're good for it. Yeah. They know you're going to be there. You're not going to run. Yeah, it's like these ups and downs are, are on a foundation, though, of these good morals, trust and love and, you know, the community and things like that. I, uh, I'm, I'm training right now for a 100-mile ultra run, and I've, I've been thinking about how that relates to business and really life. It's like I know for a fact it's going to get hard. Like that's a certainty. You know, I know that that's going to happen. And taking that mindset into building a business or – a marriage or life or raising kids or whatever it might be. I think sometimes if we know that to your point, it's a motion picture, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be the downs so that the ups can come, mm-hmm. can kind of help you just know that they're, I mean, how foolish would we be to think that this is all going to go perfectly all uh, of the time? It's simply, it's simply not. So I love hearing, uh, you know, um, one of the other things that's really important in life, you're going you're gonna to meet people that don't treat you right. That's, that's just unfortunate. But I've had a rule is I never burn a bridge. Um, somebody takes advantage of me financially or, or isn't quite fair in the way a transaction was supposed to go. Um, I still treat them as a friend. I just remember don't do business with them. But yeah. I don't burn my bridge. Because you never know, you know, things could turn around and they come back to you and say, oh, you know, I want to help you with this or help you with that. So it's just not worth creating. I don't need an enemy, so I just keep them as friends. I just know where they are and know the limitations and to be careful. Yeah. So, so And that happens. I've had that happen numerous times. Oh, I'm sure. I, I'm, again, I'm so, so infant into this and I see, you know, the people want stuff. I mean, it, you know, a lot of that can kind of happen. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the, the discretion that you have to have with mm-hmm. how you, how you go into things and, and all of that. So I have a, a anecdote or a story that I'm curious if you even remember, but it, it contributes to why I'm so, ex- I've been so excited to, to pick your brain. I went to college with John. We went to, to Fort Lewis college together. Best I can recall, this was 14 years ago, maybe 13 years ago. John and I had this brilliant idea that we wanted to start a pawn shop. And uh, John said, you know, my dad knows business. We could talk to him about it. He'll give us some advice and whatever. And 14 years ago, John and I sat at your kitchen table in your, in your, in your kitchen. And we gave you this grand idea that we have for purchasing this pawn shop and, you know, doing this whole thing. And I didn't even the weight of the fact that I was sitting having advice from Al Harper in 2010, you know, was lost on me. I'm, you know, a a blind, naive, you know, freshman in college, but here we are. And, uh, you redirected us in such a, such a kind and constructive way of like, and, and your advice was, is maybe we start at the flea market and, you know, get some product there and, dip our toe in the water before we, you know, lease a building and, and do all of that. But it was now that I have the benefit of hindsight, you know, and, and a little bit of experience and some lessons learned the hard way along the way. It's cool for me to look back and see a few things from that moment. One is that 
always have been wanting to be a, an entrepreneur. And so now when I have the opportunity to work with you and John on a real level, I just appreciate the heck out of it. <laughs> but I also got to witness the way that you redirected John and I without discouraging us. Like it was a very, I, and I don't even know, I, you probably don't even remember it, but it was a very, I could tell that you gave good sound advice that was going to teach us some lessons about what we really wanted to do, but still go try, but in a different way. And, and this whole thing, which was just so fun for me to see. And now I get to see John's involvement in the, in the company. And I don't know your other, your other children nearly as well as I know John, but I know that I, I maybe all of your children are involved or most of them at least, you know, are, are, have, have pretty important positions within American Heritage Railways. Um, I, I, Jim, I'm, I'm escaping his name right now in Silverton. Jim. Jim, thank Jim. you. Um, and anyway, it's, just, it's been cool to see. But what I'm curious about is I think sometimes people have this idea that when dad's successful, you know, everyone just kind of gets to come along. But I've seen that that is not the case no. with you and your family by any means that, you know, John went to school and I know he's had so many different positions and work and things like that. Anyway, what I'm getting at is I would love to hear your perspective of how your role as a father ties into your role as, you know, a business owner and when those worlds collide and how you kind of are managing it and your, your perspective on your family's involvement and your responsibilities as the father and a, you know, and, and an owner. You know, uh, it's been fun. Uh, it's really been fun. I have six kids. So that um, that I've worked with in a lot of different ways, being a dad, being a partner, um, working with them, and the highs and lows. And with this kid, there's always drama. There's always something going on. Um, three are connected to the business, and three are one is a policeman in Longmont, just became a sergeant, just got promoted, and. One has been in the real estate business in Miami, although I think she's thinking about moving this way. And uh, another one uh, works remotely for a software company out of Orlando. Oh, interesting. And he lives here. And then there's John running the, the family business. And John is, is actually president of all the operating companies now. And I'm uh, chairman and CEO, and my wife, Carol, is the president of the holding company, the American Heritage. And um, it, it isn't always easy because uh, with six children, they all have different interests, different uh, skills. Um, John is very, his retention of facts and figures and, and his energy level and work, his work ethic is tremendous. And he's the he's the right of the of all six of them that should have been running the family business. Jim is Mr. Personality, and he's just he's got a great work ethic, but he's not one of those that wants to really be into accounting and all the other facets, finance and so forth. But running a hotel and being our representative in Silverton, where we have major investment, um, we own quite a bit of different things and in Silverton and so he's that's good for him in that small atmosphere up there he does a great job he's really blossomed I have a daughter who um, uh, uh, Melanie 
her nickname's Finney. Finney is tied to the company. Um, she's gone through a, a physical illness that's been long term, but she's a real confidant of John's, and and that's that's worked out really well. So three of them will run the business, and then the other three I've taken care of them through other investments and so forth. So one of the things that was important to me as I went along was just to provide for my family long term, and and we've really reached that point where they're all they all are able to pursue their own interests and do what they want. And um, so that, that, that makes me happy. Um, you know, a transition uh, when, you know, building the initial part of the company, um, it was really just me and my wife. Um, I always tease people, I have one shareholder, that's my wife, and most nights we sleep together, so <laughs> it works out. <laughs> but uh, um, so it's been, a, my wife has been such a supporter, and in the good times and the bad, she's right, been right there, and she understood my whole philosophy that I wasn't, I wasn't going to do anything out of fear, that I would always get through these things. And, and, um, and right now we are really, you know, doing just really great. John's leadership this last uh, two to three years has been tremendous, and um, he's a true entrepreneur. And I do remember the pawn shop, and you guys took a wagon to the flea market. <laughs> I remember going to the flea market, and you had some stuff. We had bought some property that had some stuff left over, and then you went and bought, I don't know, I'm going to call it cheap junk. I was going to say pretty much some Walmart <laughs> stuff. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, I do remember the trailer there at the flea market. Yeah. But, you know, John's always been entrepreneurial. He, he, um, he bought out a... Um, a party rental company. He actually bought all their inventory, and he wanted to look into that and decided it didn't have enough turnover, and he sold that. And um, he's looked at other things. He does buy real estate. He owns some really nice real estate. Uh, he doesn't waste money at all. I mean, even on his own. I mean, he he's he makes fair a fair wage for all the work he does, and. Man, he reinvests it, so he's he's doing really well. Uh, uh. Is that reinvestment? <laughs> well, actually, did did you know early on that your kids would, you know, because John's the youngest, I believe, he, right? John's the the youngest boy. Okay, the youngest son. Mm. Did you know early on, just based on personality types and things like that? you know, which kids would probably stay involved in the, in the business versus not, or did anybody surprise you with, you know, where, where they've chosen to, where they've chosen to land? You know, all of them have some great strengths. They definitely are not all business oriented and they definitely not, they don't all have the same, um, drive to, to grow a business or anything. Um, you know, I've, I've got one son who, uh, I always tease him, I, I call him uh, Matt the Skeptic, because he's great to get in on, and uh, I could pick any side of an argument, and he'll take the other side <laughs> just to, uh, to have a discussion, and I, I enjoy that, and I'll actually clip articles and send them to him, here's our next topic, and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about all sorts of stuff, politics or, you know, different issues. And, and then I have another one, uh, 
uh, a policeman in our family. I always told him, I said, I knew you were going to be in law enforcement. I just didn't know which side you were going to be on. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> he, he was, he was kind of the one that went to college and partied more than he'd studied. And, um, but, you know, he's, he's really taken up law enforcement and doing a great job. And, and I think he wants to get into more into that management side of law enforcement. And then, um, um, then uh, I have a daughter that's been in, in the real estate business, and she sort of, you know, wandered a little bit. And, uh, but now I think she, she wants to come out to Durango. She's been in Miami. Miami's a tough place. Yeah. Miami's a, it, it, it treated me very well. It's very international. But as a result, it has the same international problems that so many of the big cities have. And, and so I'm kind of glad she's thinking about coming out here. Uh, but she had real estate was her background. Um, and then I told you about Melanie being part of the company and you know about Jim and, and John. Those are the six. Yeah. It's just so cool to see uh, their whole whole podcast could be on, you know, nature versus nurture, and, you know, <laughs> six kids with, a, you know, yeah. same parents, but such different, such different personalities and, you totally. know, different, different career paths. So it's, totally. I don't know if I, if that reassures me as a father or scares me, but, you know, at least to know that I'm, you know, not in it alone. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned your dad often and you've even quoted him quoted him a few times I, I relate to that so much because my dad has been so important with my well I mean gosh he's my dad he's been so important with everything but specifically with my business journey I had my resignation letter typed up and I didn't have the courage to hit send to you know walk away from it all and, and start my own company and and my dad was really who gave me the confidence to to hit send and, and go for it. And he'll tell you today that he was just as scared as I was, but he was faking <laughs> it, you know, hoping that he wasn't giving me bad advice. But yeah. it's cool for me to see those isms from your dad, you know, mm -hmm. passed on and, and that have clearly resonated and, and made, it seems like very impactful in terms of the ethics behind, you know, the business decisions you make and the, and the way that you operate. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, from your perspective in terms of a, you know, a legacy and, and leaving, you know, leaving your own isms behind when I'm sitting here talking to, to John, what are the things that you're hoping, you know, what, what's the, what's the legacy you're hoping to, to leave behind with, with your family and, and the communities that, that you're impacting? You know, um, that's really a good question. Cause you know, um, I, I am 78 and I am at point in my life where a lot of the people that I went to school with, you know, it just seems like every month somebody's departed. And, and so that starts to weigh on you. What, what is my legacy, you know? And, and I have some jokes about it, but uh, um, I, I, I really think I, the biggest legacy I can have is just my children doing well. That's the biggest legacy. And that doesn't mean, you know, uh, a brass plaque or <laughs> but now I'll tell you what I really tell them the first thing I said is I want a full-scale granite steam locomotive over my grave so that I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm kid I'm kidding of course and then the second one is I want a full-size bronze statue of me waving to the train with my chihuahua at my feet as the train pulls out so those are my legacies <laughs> love it <laughs> <laughs> but now I, I really think 
you know, the, the legacy is your family and what they carry on. And, and you really, I can see it uh, in all of my kids that they've all taken a part of what I've kind of tried to live by, the rules I've tried to live by, and I see them picking up on that. And funny one, um, I've never been a fan of tattoos. And I just, I don't know, I guess I'm old fashioned. And so um, Ethan comes home Christmas, says, Dad, I got a tattoo. I'm, I'm, I know you're going to be disappointed. I thought, why would you do that? You know, I don't like tattoos. He rolls up my sleeve and it says, do your highest sense of right oh, tattoo. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there thinking, well, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a, <laughs> put me in a dilemma here. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I, I do want, I want the railroads to, to I want to think that we've put the railroads to, so this beautiful historic treasure will be here forever. Uh, I'm hoping that. I'm hoping the museum that we've, you know, that's been a pet project of mine. I was going to say, which is free, by the way. Yeah, talk about, uh, talk about giving. It was just, I wanted, I wanted something where the community could come and kids could come and there's something for everybody. And so the museum's important to me. Um, I know when John talks about I'm going to change some things and do this and do that, and most things, you know, right to update and modernize. But then I tell him, museum mind, leave that museum alone. <laughs> so, That'll be in your well. The museum's <laughs> off limits. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I think any, any parent's legacy is their kids. That's the legacy. And I want them to do their highest sense of right, and I want them to have if that's what they choose to have children and and that'll be their legacy and um you know uh it's it'll be interesting to see how that develops um i am i'm proud that my wife and i have been able to provide you know for all six so they have the freedom that many young families don't that they have the freedom to pursue good things and and to, to do good for themselves and their community. Uh, so I'm, I'm proud of that because, uh, you know, a lot of young families just have to struggle just to survive. And, you know, all my kids have a way to now that I, they don't have to struggle. But also, it's not a free ride. They right. got to work. Right. You know? Yeah, and it seems, so first of all, if your kids are an indication of your legacy, it's a great one. Um, it, my interactions with, with you know, it, Jim and John most, most recently, obviously, but it, just so, anyway, an amazing legacy right there. But you mentioned, you know, the not being a free ride, because one of the things I've observed from my, that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to emulate, to be totally candid, when I've worked with you guys on a professional level, there is these colliding worlds of an abundance of kindness and um, friendliness, but simultaneously a very high expectation. And I've loved how John especially has balanced that, uh, you know, and because I'm, I'm sure he treats me like, you know, every like like, you know, it's it's business. And um, I, and I've also seen it with a few other high performers in my life. But this idea, this like these two realities of kindness, you know, patience, love, I mean, all of these good things, but there's also this very high expectation of 
you know, I like I feel like I've got to deliver the best product we can, and I've got to if we're agreeing to something, I have to over deliver it, and things like that. And I think that's such a delicate balance that you guys have struck, and it seems like that might be a result of parenting with like setting them up for success that, you know, we have all of these opportunities, but it's not a free ride and there still are expectations. Is that a safe um, assumption? Yeah, I, I, I do think it is, you know, to expect quality, to expect performance, you don't have to be a jerk. You don't have oh, to be, I love that. you don't have to be unkind. You don't have to be, um, uh, nitpicking. But it doesn't mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to pay a fair price for a service, and I would expect that they want to provide a quality product to me, you know. And, and if they don't, that'll be the last time we'll do business. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And it's not being mean. It's just, you know, I, I, I do want people. But I, I also want to do business with my friends. You know? Yeah. I, I, and I want people I didn't know that I'm doing business with to become my friend, you know, so that we can rely on each other. And it's like um, we'll do an expensive project. You know, maybe we got a, we're looking at doing roofs, $300,000 roof. Well, I have some people that did a roof for me, did a good job. But at $300,000, we get three bids. Right, as you should. It's just fair. Yeah. You know, I want to know that we got the best price. That's just being a good business person and being wise but it also keeps everybody honest you know everybody is you don't get taken advantage of if you if you do it right i think with kids and, and i know my parents um well I, i'm sure i got swatted once or twice growing up but the greatest thing my parents would do to keep me in line was i didn't want to disappoint them yeah because if they ever came across that i disappointed them on something that was crushing to me. And so I'm hoping my kids feel the same way, that I don't need to be threatening or anything. I just, I, I want them to know that I expect them to do good. High standards. So, yeah, I want them to be honest and fair. And and, and I think I think they really are, you know. Uh, we all slip. Anybody that says they don't is not telling you the truth because we all go through times where I could have done that better, could have handled it better, you know could have been nicer that happens but um but if your foundation is still doing that high sense right you'll come through you'll make it right yeah so. <laughs> oh and i love i just love that perspective so much of that the book the two can happen simultaneously yeah you can have high standards and still be kind yeah i've, I've had people say you know dad you can be super wealthy if you just took advantage of all the places you had, I didn't care. I didn't care about being super wealthy. I, I probably never thought of myself as wealthy. You know, I, I live and live better now than I ever have in my life. Uh, but I don't need a yacht. I looked down here. I don't need an airplane. I don't. I don't need all those trappings. You know, I, I'm very happy to to be with my family. My greatest thing is take the whole family out for dinner and just, I don't even have to talk, just listen to them all talk and just sit there at the table and hear all the jabbering going on when they're all together. It's just, that's a real treat to me. I think I saw, I hope this was you guys, a, 
a Christmas picture from this year, I believe, and everyone is still matching, oh, yeah. matching pajamas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there, you know, it's it's you and and you know all of your adult kids, and uh, you know, I, I don't know everybody in the in the photo, but yeah. um, it was a pretty powerful one to see. There was depth there because everybody's in the matching pajamas. Everybody, you know, at least for a moment, smiled for the photo. And I know the realities, but, but that what that photograph showed me was that there really is an abundance of love in the Harper family, and that was what it's so cool to see these different paths, these different personalities, you know. These business successes, because, you know, you've seen I've seen so many times very successful families, you know, not survive that because it comes with its own its own set of challenges. And so it's a cool like microcosm indicator that there's love there. There's, you know, I'm sure far from perfect. I know that. But that, you know, everybody participated, everybody gathered for the holiday, I've got to imagine from your seat that that's like the coolest thing to it is. to see that yeah. still happening. You know, I got to give my wife Carol a lot of credit because, um, you know, something will happen and I'll say, "That gone, I'm I'm not happy with one of the kids," and she'll just go in there and she'll talk to the kid and talk to me and iron it out and she's just she's just. So he's got that motherly love that's always been a guide for the family and um, never gives up on anybody, no matter what the problem is, you know, and that's, that's important because sometimes there's things happen in a family, particularly one this big with, you know, six kids and, and so things come up and the kids will get at odds with each other for one thing or another and Carol's always the one that somehow pulls them all back together and uh, so I give her a lot of credit. And she's always been there, too, for me in the good times and the bad. That, uh, uh, how many women would, you know, when I call them up and say, I'm going to spend $23.5 million to buy a railroad, and we've got to put a second mortgage on the house and our cabin in the woods, and, you know. And she said, what do you think? You want to do it? And I said, I think I kind of do. And she said, okay. How many women will sit there and just risk everything, everything, 100% financed a railroad? out in Colorado that she had never seen. She'd never been on it. And so it, she's, she's, she's really been good about letting me be the entrepreneur and let me do things. And, and then she'll bark at me once in a while. Now she should. <laughs> she, somebody's going to keep my feet on the ground. But, um, you know, and uh, I tease them now, you know, when it was just me running the company, um, uh, you know, I just kind of made decisions as I went along and kind of did it on what I thought would be the most fun and still reasonable, you know. And now I've got John and her, and I have to go to committee. <laughs> so I go to committee. Now you I have a board. <laughs> but, uh, but, no, and, we, you know, it's, it's really been fun as, as we progress. We're able to do some, some really fascinating um, things that are really giving and uh, one of the latest is about uh, two years ago um, there's this little town in the Missouri Ozarks and we have a home on in the woods down there that's where my granddad had a company and uh, since I've been going down there since I was five or six you know and it's it's very poverty area 
You know, I always tell the farmer's main cash crop is rocks in their fields. It's just not, not well to do. Timbering was the main source of any kind of business. And, uh, you know, like so many small towns, they built a highway around the town. Everybody moved out of downtown. Downtown was, you know, half empty. And so about two years ago, I went to the family. I said, I want to do something, you know, and I, I looked at, do we start a business or what can we do to help that little town? It's smaller today than it was when I was growing up. Wow. And it's typical rural towns. Um, people just leaving. There's not jobs. And so I said, well, we can't start a business. Let's, let's go in and buy these abandoned buildings and fix them and give people cheap rent and let's fill up downtown. So we bought eight buildings in downtown Donovan, Missouri. Wow. And uh, um, we have 11 tenants now, fully occupied. We've lit up the buildings, we outlined all the buildings and lights. We've put new roofs and air conditioning and plumbing. They've been abandoned for 50 years. And, um, and it's amazing now. It's the heart of the community. And we have restaurants and uh, boutiques and candy stores and quilting shops and and it just brought this little town back to life again and and that's kind of neat to be able to do that you know and we didn't use any financing we just took our own money and and for that little town it was a big chunk of money wow and uh, I'm really excited about it. in fact I'm Sunday I'm, I'm heading down there just to see the the last building is just being finished and uh, it's just, it makes me feel good to see that town lit up. And it is the heart of all the activity now. And, and, and it was abandoned. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's somewhat of a legacy there, by the way. Well, you know, I said to John, well, we've accomplished what we want to do. We got downtown going and all. Do we want to sell it? And, you know, I was really pleased. John said, no, let's just keep it. It's just part of us now when we go there. Donovan's just part of us. We'll just keep it. So, so I'm I'm real happy with that. And uh, you know, John said something else to me. Should have been my dad, but in this case, it was John. Somebody was talking to me, and and they said, "Well, you you did such and such." And I said, "Yeah, I was really lucky that that worked out." And John said, "No, Dad, you're not lucky. You're blessed." And I I thought, coming from John, he's got the spirit. John's got it. He understands me, and and um, he's a lot more uh, with his technology basis and his ability to analyze things so quickly with computers. Me, it was hours with yellow pads and calculators, and he can do in minutes what it took me hours. But he understands a true entrepreneur experience, and he understands not everything is done just because of the dollar sign. It's done because what an opportunity. You know, our, our company, we like to say, is based on three legs to a stool. It started out preservation, and then it was education, and we figured out to make preservation and education prosper, we needed to be entertainers. And so we're preservationists, we're educators, we're entertainers, and those three support each other, and that's how this will live forever. We don't need charity. We don't need tax support. We want them to stand on their own. And that's why, you know, uh, we have the railroads. We have the entertainment company. We got the Broadway production company. 
Um, and we, we have the movie studio in Tucson, and, and we have a horse farm. That's our latest one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, preserving the historic aura of the West here in this area is really important. And so I'm excited about um, the, the plans that John's developing with his team for, the, for uh, Tuxen Ranch, which is the name of our ranch. Uh, we're going to do a West experience for people to visit. Um, the movie studio, you know, we said three years to break even, and we're probably on that schedule. We had 100,000 visitors our first year, wow, which is good. Uh, so it, it's all part of this wonderful experience that's American heritage. And, <coughs> and I'm, I'm just pleased that John has that spirit and has that, um, you know, my, my, I, I, I don't want him to burn out because he works hard. He just morning, noon, and night, and he travels a lot. I keep telling John, you need a really good girlfriend. <laughs> you need somebody to distract you from all this. Right. <laughs> but but, uh, but he understands, you know, that I support Fort Lewis College and and support their athletic and all all the departments of business school. John's on the business school's advisory team, and uh, John is real active with the Economic Alliance and. So we try to make sure that you know we're we have our hands on the pulse of what's going on, and then um, and we have the financial resources that when a need arises we can step in and help. You know, uh, I don't want to I don't want to be known as just you know just a soft touch for anybody. I, I want them to show show me your mission, show me you're doing it right, and I'll support you. You know, to the best of our ability and. It's kind of interesting too. Um, some people come in, you know, they, they want this huge amount of money from us, and and I've kind of said to the kids, you're better to take a thousand dollars and give four different groups two hundred fifty dollars than one thousand to one and ignore the others. Share. Yeah. Try to share what you got in the community, and and so we've really struggled to make sure we can significantly help people, and. Um, I like the kinds of things like community connection. You know, we've included them in our Polar Express with their festival trees. Um, uh, Goys and Girls Club and the Discovery Museum and so forth, we take our uh, dress rehearsal night for Polar Express. We give them all the tickets and tell us sell them. You keep all the proceeds. Because it gives us an audience to practice and, and it lets them really raise significant money. And so, you know, um, we try to repeat that same type of thing over and over and over with different organizations and community, and it's really worked, worked well. Yeah, it shows. It, the The reason I had to bump you to 4.30 instead of 4 is because I was meeting with the Boys and Girls Club. We do their <laughs> we do their video every year for their... Uh, uh, their breakfast. Yeah, their, yeah. their breakfast thing. But yeah. mm -hmm. Al, thank you so much yeah. for so many things. Thank you for giving me some time yeah, today. I enjoyed it. Thank you for giving me some wisdom, but thank you for being who you are. And thank you for being such a refreshing, just breath of fresh air when it comes to the success that you have, the businesses that you've built, the journey that you've had. And, you, you know, for you to be so humble to say if it's a story worth telling is like <laughs> the, the humor of the day for me. But I cannot tell you how needed it is 
the 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 philosophy you have and the perspective that you have on business and life and family and community people need to hear it because we need more people like you that operate with those two things happening simultaneously these high standards but with kindness and love and the impact that you have made on the the one point however many million people that got to ride the polar express this year but the impact that you've made on the communities in which you operate, the investments that you've made, like that story that you just told me, the careers that you've built for people, the impact that you've made on my life is huge. And I just want you to know it's so powerful to hear that all of that is built on this foundation of doing the most right you can. And I'm, I'm butchering your words, but with such high ethics and morals and trust and this this way that you've gone about the success that you've built is just so refreshing. And I just thank you so sincerely for being willing to share some of that because I don't have a huge audience, but I do have a couple hundred people that listen. <laughs> and the fact that they're going to get to hear this is powerful. And I, and it's a message that I hope to convey and to be totally candid out. It's, it's what I hope to build my businesses on, you know, a, a similar foundation of, these ethics and these morals and, and doing what we love and making such an impact. So I have a present for you. Uh -uh. <laughs> Don't worry. It's nothing crazy, but it's a, it's a shirt that I had designed. They say inspire by example. Oh, how nice. And I want you to have it because of the profound ways that you inspire me just by living your, your life well, by thanks. example and the impact that you're making. And I just can't thank you enough for giving me a little bit of time to bend your ear. I hope you know how much it means to me and, and thank you for being who you are. I'm, I'm just so honored that you spend the time with me. I enjoy it very much. Thank you so much for having me over. Thank you. All right. All right I got to hit the red button here. That was really fun.